God's word that priests and kings and prophets heard. There would be a sacrifice and blood would flow to pay sin's price. Precious Lamb of glory, love's most wondrous story. Heart of God's redemption of man, worship No mics. Yeah, I forgot it completely. That's just proof positive it's been 29 years. <laughs> I can't remember a thing. Okay, I'll tell you what, we'll use this one for now. <laughs> well, the, 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 uh, the gospel may not have lost its power, but it definitely doesn't sound the same. <clears throat> Let's cut this off here. Check, one, two. Uh, yeah, it's got a funny sound, too. I tell you, it just, in the, right, by just sounds different to me. Okay. We're trying to get all the mics back in order. I'm telling you, Brother Kavanaugh's been in here working diligently to try to work out all of that, and uh, it's just been a process, and it's
scripture drills on purpose, okay? Colossians chapter 1. Are you, are you ready for me? Okay. Colossians chapter 1. Wow. This is what 29 years does. Think about what your marriage will be like after 29 years. <laughs> Amazing. Colossians chapter 1, and we'll see what we can do here. We're going to begin in verse 1, and um, I'm going to really kind of go through chapter 1 up to verse 6 today, okay? And uh, we'll do our best to um, to do that. <clears throat> chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1. All right, let me see. i got my spotters out here. Let me see. Uh, Brother Cody, how, how are we sounding out there? Caleb, how are we doing out there? Solid. There, he knew better than to say it. Yeah, okay. Well, you, you're probably right, Cody. I know. I know. Nobody ever listens to me. No, but anyway. Okay, yeah. He, he's probably right. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Okay, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it does also in you since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. Father, we come to you. We do ask, Lord, that you would just uh, help to remove any further distractions. Lord, we know that, Father, uh, we it just takes time to work the bugs out of a system that's been totally revamped and, so to speak, rewired as a, as a whole for the program. And, Lord, we're just trying to figure it all out. And, Lord, I pray you'd give us wisdom where it's needed and you'd help us to do just that. But, Lord, today, Lord, may we not allow uh, the, the sound that's just different to keep us from hearing the word that's always the same. Lord, it's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, Lord, help us to be able to focus in. May your Holy Spirit fill me. And, Lord, may I be your mouthpiece today. And, Lord, be with every listening ear. May we hear with spiritual ears. Again, Lord, do this work, this job in our life. Walk these aisles. Truly speak to our hearts. Thank you for 29 years. Lord, we thank you for those years. And Lord, if you give us more, we'll be grateful for it. Father, what we do want to do is we want to honor you and glorify your name. And Lord, we thank you of that many things to it in the future. That's why we're here. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So in verse 1, he begins by stating, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother. Paul was a people person, and he loved people. He longed to see folks come to Jesus Christ. He worked tirelessly to promote the spiritual well-being of others. He probably had been disinherited, possibly disowned by his family when he himself came to the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, you think about just his place in Judaism, and now here he finds himself 
buying into Christianity and not just buying in, but I mean stepping in with both feet. And here he is preaching and proclaiming the word of God. There's a good possibility that his family disowned him and would have nothing to do with him. But no matter to Paul. He had another family because of all the people that had put their faith and trust in Jesus. He had brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ now. Every time he led someone to the Lord, every time he extended the gospel and they accepted and received it, his family grew. He loved them all. He wrote to them. He prayed for them. He visited them. We see as we move on to verse 2, we see who we are. There in verse 2 it says, to the saints. He's writing to the saints. Guess what? We are saints today. You say, what? The word used for saint here essentially means separated. In the New Testament, it, it has to do with being consecrated to God. We know that, oops, we know that we, <laughs> I stay right here. We know that we've been, uh, we've moved from the world and into Christ. We understand that. We've been consecrated. The, the idea really of holiness clings to this word of saint. But you and I can never forget that our true holiness is not found in our own merit. No, not at all. It's in the fact that we're believers, that we're washed in the blood of the Lamb, that we're indwelt by the Holy Ghost, that we receive righteous, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He goes on not only to tell us who we are, but what we are. Here in the passage, he says simply, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ. Notice again, we're faithful brethren. The Greek word for faithful here carries the idea of being trustworthy or reliable. Faithful, trustworthy, reliable. I mean, can there be any more needed trait in the Christian life but faithfulness? To be faithful, it's the bedrock of our life. We must be trustworthy. We must be reliable both to God and to man. He goes on to the saints and faithful brethren. In Christ, which are at Colossae. Now listen, it's a blessing to be in Christ Jesus. No doubt about it. And we ought to always remember that we are in Christ. But he also points out that they are at Colossae. He points out that they're both in Christ and in a physical location. Now listen, sometimes we could get to, we could become, and sometimes people have become, preoccupied with being in Christ, so much so that they become somewhat mystical about it or impractical about it. They lose sight of the world and the people around them. Still others are so preoccupied with Colossae that they forget that they're in Christ. They become materialistic, worldly, carnal. They're taken up with the work or sports or family. They have little time to work for the Lord Jesus Christ. They're so caught up with Colossae. And Paul the Apostle is speaking to them and he's reminding them that they are both in Christ and in Colossae, that they are, yes, to revel in the fact that they are in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, that spiritually speaking they are complete, but they are also in Colossae where they are to work and they are to strive and they are to obey and please the Lord through living the life. God would have us be balanced. The Bible tells us in the book of Luke, 
chapter 2, verse 52. Would you turn there? Luke chapter 2, verse 52. It's talking about Jesus Christ. And notice how it describes or speaks of him. We know that very little is written about the Lord early on in his life. We know that at 12, we find him in the temple debating, uh, speaking with those uh, uh, religious leaders. And, and next time we see him, I mean, he's uh, uh, being baptized by John. I mean, it's amazing. You know, we see so much going on in his life after he turns 30. <laughs> but before, we don't see a whole lot of him. But we do know something about him. Look at what happens here in Luke 2.52. The Bible says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now, I want you to note this again. Wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. He was the complete man. He was growing physically, spiritually, emotionally, yes. He was in favor with God and with man. He wasn't lopsided or out of balance in any way. He was a complete man. He existed, or should I say exhibited, perfect balance when it came to the spiritual and physical realms. He was just, he and you and I ought to be striving for this perfect balance in our life. Yes, I'm a Christian, and yes, the Word of God is important, but if I stay home and only read the Bible and never step outside the door and minister to those in need of it, then I'm out of balance. Yeah, but preacher, could you possibly say that you can get too much Bible? Well, I don't think you can get too much Bible, but I think you can also neglect too many people. Because Christ came to die for people, souls. He came to seek and to save, that was his law. He is the Word, and yet He found His time reaching out to others in a very practical way. Notice in verse 3, He goes on to say, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, He goes on and He says, Praying. Praying all the time. Paul never stopped praying. Probably the only one who prayed more than the Apostle Paul Jesus Christ. I mean, there's a good there's a good possibility. I mean, he was a prayer warrior. If the Son of God needed to pray, and if the great apostle needed to pray, how much more do we? A pastor years ago uh, that was head over the Bible college I attended and, and became a friend later in life, more of a mentor to me probably than anything. His name is Dr. Bruce Cummins, and he used to say this. He'd say, laziness is the besetting sin of the ministry, but prayerlessness is the greatest sin of the ministry. Laziness is the besetting sin of the ministry, but prayerlessness is the greatest sin of the ministry. You know what? He was right, and he still is, isn't he? I got thinking about this sound system just a few moments ago, and I was thinking about this issue and how the Spirit of God works in lives and how He truly impacts uh, the church and, and those around, and even in our community, the Holy Spirit of God. And I thought about the sound system. It's interesting when you hear the choir sing, there's times when the mics pick them up perfectly and it just fills the whole room. And there's other times you can tell they're singing back here. There's times when the microphone doesn't seem to work properly and it just doesn't transmits the power or the the, the, the the sound. It's not like it's sitting in your ear. It's not like somebody's talking to you directly. It seems distant. And then there's 
times before I tell you what Jesus thinks, but they're right there. You know what? That's how the Holy Spirit takes what we do and manifests it. It's amazing how He does that. And, and, and in our own little voices, our own human <clears throat> frail voices, we proclaim His truth, but it's not till He comes along and magnifies it that it really hits the heart and makes the change that's necessary in our life. Paul the Apostle recognized the need of the Holy Ghost. And he said, I'm going to pray, and I have been praying always for you. I'm praying the greatest battles we face in the Christian life are either won or lost on the battlefield of prayer. We're so so ill-equipped to pray today. It seems to me that distraction and disloyalty and disregard and distance have taken root in our lives, separating us from the throne room of God. The greatest prizes are obtained at the feet of the Master. And there on our faces, uh, uh, there on our faces, humbled before Him, we take great pleasure in sharing the treasures of grace. But you got to get there. says, call upon me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. I understand that the context of the passage is Israel coming out of, uh, ultimately going to be coming out of of, uh, captivity and and, and one day ruling and reigning again and God would restore them as he did. He said, call unto me and I will answer thee. We don't have all the answers. We don't know exactly what's going on, but Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things, which thou knowest not. You'll understand what I'm trying to accomplish. You'll understand what I'm trying to do. And so many times we're lost, and we don't know what to do. We don't know where to turn. We don't know how it's going to get accomplished or how it's going to get done. But prayer is the key, because in prayer we find the answers we seek, and we also find the power to do what God has called us to do. May we may we cease being careless and prayerless and instead strive in the holy place at the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ. Note that not only the apostle is praying, but he's praying always. You know, we give thanks, he says, to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Always for you. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Pray without ceasing. The Apostle Paul is reminding us over and over again through the Word of God how vital prayer is, how important it is. It wasn't just good enough for him and the Lord. It's something you and I need in the church today. It's what we need in our marriages and what we need in our lives. It's what we need as parents. It's what we need as citizens. How often we begin strongly prayer, only to quit before the answer comes. In Matthew chapter 7, turn there, would you? The Lord Jesus Christ, while on earth, shared something about prayer. And he says in Matthew chapter 7, in verses 7 and 8, kind of gives us a little insight. Notice what he says. They're very popular verses. I don't know that we preach much on prayer today because I think we do so little of it. Notice what it says in Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him
him that knocketh, it shall be opened. But I tell you what, there comes time when you got to keep knocking. You got to keep asking. You got to keep seeking. We have illustrations in the Word of God where people are the inopportune friend where they're knocking on the door. They need something from their neighbor. They need something to sustain their family. And they say, I'm going to keep knocking. So you better just get up and give it to me because otherwise you'll get no sleep at all. And that's a picture of what we ought to be doing with God. We ought to be knocking at the door so long, so often, and finally he says, fine, I'll give it to you because I know until I do, I'll not stop hearing. He knows that if we stop if we stop on that one, we'll pick up another issue or another thing we need him to take care of. And sometimes he just wants to hear our voice, and he wants us to talk with him. Prayer, prayer I, I know that the old book said, uh, d- defined, uh, let's see, let me think of who it was again. John R. Rice defined prayer as asking. He said, asking. That's what prayer is, asking. And there's some truth to that. I'm not going to knock that. I believe he was on to something. However, can I say this? When we pray, sometimes the Lord just wants us to listen. Sometimes he wants us just to talk about things. We're so wired to ask for everything we want, not just what we need. And I think it pleases the Lord for us just to say, you know, Lord, I'm not coming to ask for anything other than just to be with you. Paul the Apostle is not only praying, but he is praying always. He says, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. And then in verse 4, he goes on to say, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. We've been praying for you. Since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Do you know that salvation is by grace through faith? In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is a work of God, His grace. Paul was so thankful, so encouraged and inspired because of their faith in Christ. As he, over, as he looked over uh, these people and he, as he heard about what God was doing in their midst, he could get a mental vision of what it appeared like, what they looked like, and he could just see them happy in the Lord Jesus Christ. Is there anything quite like leading a person to the Savior? There's nothing like it. And Paul the Apostle's excited. You've been saved. Man, I'll tell you what, I'm excited too. He's thinking as he's running through his mind the many people he's had the privilege to lead to Jesus Christ. And he's thinking about them. And then he's, I mean, think about it. Is there anything that makes us happier than to know that a person is saved? Especially when they're close to death. Paul's saying, since I heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, we haven't stopped thanking God for you or praying for you. So why would he be praying for them? Because the Christian life, as believers, we're always under attack. He says, not only since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, have we been thanking God and praying for you, but since we heard of the love which you have to all the saints. Man, I mean, they didn't have social media and they didn't have telephones or all the modern conveniences that we have to to pass on information. No, but they did have word of mouth. And somehow, some way, the word of God got, uh, the word got back to Paul that some good things were happening in Colossae. 
I mean, he either received the letter himself or somebody by word of mouth said, man, you should see what's going on. They've received the Lord Jesus Christ, and they love one another like nobody's business. And Paul the Apostle says, man, we've been praying for you. We're so excited for you, so thankful to you. We've been thanking God, and we've been praying ever since we've heard of the love that you have for all of us. And can I say that that includes old brother backbiter or sister axe grinder. Someone has said, to dwell above with saints above, that will indeed be glorious. To dwell below with saints we know, well, that's another story. Right? Come on now. But it's a great thing to have love for all of God's people. That's what God intended. That's what God wants. We're a family. How sad it would be to not love our family. There's not a parent in the room that wouldn't be upset today if you're talking to your child over dinner and they say, I hate you. I don't like you. You make me sick. You bother me. I don't like being around you. Boy, you wouldn't like that at all, would you, Susie? We're a family. I don't like her. I don't like him. I don't I don't want to be with them. That's not demonstrating the love that the Lord would have us share and express for one another. That's not the love that the church of Colossa had been experiencing and, and participating in. No, not at all. The Apostle Paul heard, as the Bible says, since we heard of, your, of the love which you have to all the saints. Not only the saints at Colossa, but I got to believe that somehow, someway, they were probably even taking up a collection to help maybe a church that was having a rough time. They might have been doing even a little bit of that. But it's a great thing to have love for all of God's people. You know that the Lord Jesus Christ loved everybody? I want you to think about this. He loved Pilate as much as he loved Jesus. Think about that. He stood before Pilate, who thought he had the ability to, to grant him life or put him to death. And Jesus thought, you ain't got that power. No, that power that's been given you, it's not yours really. It's been extended to you because the fact is, is you can't kill me and those soldiers can't kill me and the Jews can't kill me. The fact is I'm going to lay my life down myself. And that, that pilot stood there, that governor there of that, that place, and, and, and here he is faced with him. He says, you know what? He could have looked Pilate in the eye and he could have said with all honesty and sincerity, I love Jesus. Just like he did Peter. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, said, And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Know the love of Christ. And it is the love of Christ that we're to extend to others. You don't have to muster up your own love. You just simply have to let the love of Christ flow through you. So do I. It's one thing when God loves. 
that's expected by our flesh. But when mortal man or woman love each other with all their faults and misgivings, that is something altogether different. The world sees that. Most people will never know the love of God except for the love that they see on Jesus. Then we come to verse 5. Don't worry, we're almost to the message. Getting there. Verse 5, he says, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. He says, For the hope which is laid up, that literally means treasured up for you in heaven. Man, that's a great hope. In understanding this hope that we have, the order is important here. Notice his first phase he talks about, then love and then hope. See, faith comes first in this passage. Faith has to do with the, with the content of salvation. I mean, faith is... In Christ Jesus, right? If you're not in Christ, then you're not saved. And you have to exercise faith to be in Christ Jesus. Faith has to do with the the bedrock certainties of salvation. I know I'm saved. We were, and by the way, those bed that bedrock of of certainties is only possible because we've been purchased through Calvary. An infinite cost was paid. He literally laid his life down for us. Christ was made available to us because of the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Faith is what links us to the word of God, to the work of God, to the witness of the spirit. It's faith, faith, faith. But then he moves on to love. Love has to do with the character of our salvation. We have the content is faith, but the character is love. And love is what God is. It's not just what he demonstrates. It's who he is. He is love. And love became incarnate in Christ Jesus. And when we see Jesus Christ hanging on that cross 2,000 years ago, as we read about it in the word of God, we are literally gazing upon love incarnate. The first of the fruits of the Spirit is love. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law, but love is first. Truth must be held in love. Love never fails. When J.B. Patton applied to the British government for permission to go to the new Hebrid uh, Hebrid Islands in order to uh, to convert the cannibals to Christ, cannibals, people that uh, ate people, He was at first denied. They would not let him go. Finally, one of the lords of the British British army relented. He suggested that Patton should be allowed to go, although the islanders had a reputation as being a savage people. Perhaps, said the naval spokesman, the cannibals will eat him, and that will give us an excuse to blow their island out of the sea. Patton laughed. He said that he had some gunpowder of his own he'd like to try first. He was referring to Calvary's love. What a glorious effect that gunpowder proved to have in converting the cannibals. 
things in common. They stopped eating people and started digesting the Word of God. Finally, hope comes. Hope has to do with the consummation of our salvation. See, if you ask the person, or ask, ask the person, hey, are you saved? You know, for sure, if you died, you'd go to heaven. We're not very excited when they say, I hope so. For the world's hope is most often in vain, isn't it? A person receives word that they have an incurable cancer or that they've just lost their job or that their wife or husband has walked out on them. A well-meaning friend steps up and says, everything's going to be all right. But who says that? Often that's just a very optimistic statement. It's designed to make the other person feel better, right? But it may have no basis in fact at all. The word really We say it, and I'm not saying don't say it sometimes, but think about it in your own mind. Do we know it's really going to be all right? Christian hope's not like that, though. It's a, it is solid. It is substantial. It is embedded in eternal truth. Our hope is treasured up in heaven, the Bible tells us. Hope looks ahead. Hope doesn't just look at the immediate at all. No, it's always looking out into the future. Hope has to do with the future. And what a glorious future it is. Now we arrive at the message. This faith, love, and hope, according to the apostle, is available to you. Paul goes on in verse 6. says, verse 5, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, where have ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, which has come unto you as it is in all the world. People have debated for years whether or not the gospel truly got around the world. According to the passage, it would almost imply that indeed it had. This gospel, this truth, this hope, this faith, love, and hope that is available is available to all. It's been throughout the world. It comes to you. It goes to each and every other person throughout this world. It is available for all. God is no respecter of persons. He will save all who come unto him by faith. And in John chapter 1, verse 12, the Bible says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. In John 6, 37, he says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Which has come unto you, as it is in all the world. He also says, And it bringeth forth fruit, as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. Can I tell you the gospel still has the same effect on folks today? In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And listen now. Think about that for a moment. 
doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your background. It doesn't matter how many mistakes or messes you've gotten yourself into. You can become a new creature in Christ, have a new beginning and a new start. Yes, the consequences of sin may leave scars in your life, but you don't have to let them bury you. John 15, 16 says, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. That you should go and bring forth fruit. That's what the Apostle Paul's saying. He's saying, which has come unto you, as it is in all the world, this faith, love, and hope. It's come unto all of you, as it is in all the world, and bring forth this fruit, as it doth also in you today you he's saying listen i'm telling you right now he's saying it is going to make a difference in every life this gospel isn't just for you it's for everyone this gospel doesn't just change your life it changes everyone it comes into contact with this gospel doesn't just provide or enable you to to produce fruit in your life it'll produce fruit in anyone in everyone's life who puts it in play so here's the message. The gospel still works. It still works. It's been 2,000 years, and the gospel still works. We can become guilty of limiting the scope of God's work in the world to a particular decade or possibly a lifetime. But it's bigger than that. We can get somewhat discouraged by the dark and dismal outlook that we see today. But never forget the gospel's bigger than any one leader, government, or even world power. Time alone will attest to its longevity and its superiority. Generations may reject this truth, but eternity will attest to its effectiveness and its power. The gospel hasn't lost its power. The gospel is still alive today, and the gospel is still reaching people and changing lives. It's been 29 years since this church began, since the doors opened. 29 years since a 30-year-old came along and God said, I want you to do this. Can I tell you that the gospel is still the same gospel? It's still doing the same work in lives. And you say, I don't see evidence like I used to. It doesn't matter. That gospel hasn't lost its power. People may reject it. People may turn from it. People may not want anything to do with it. But my friend, if they'll trust Jesus Christ, not only will they be saved, but they'll be changed and they'll bear fruit of that change. You sit here today as evidence of the gospel still working. May I say that you're not alone. There are others that can be reached and will be reached if we'll carry the gospel to the world. Because this, this faith that we are reading about in this passage, this, this love that we ought to have between one another and for one another, this hope that we now have looking forward to the future, it's possible in the lives of every human being. Well, I just don't see any hope for the world. Well, you don't see the gospel then. Come on, the Bible's still true. God's still seated on the throne. All is well in heaven and on earth. We need to, need to be serving because everything happens for a reason. The gospel still works. Well, back in 1994 when the church started, it was different. Oh, it was different in 1994. I was younger. 
let me tell you what, it still works. We get discouraged. We may even get down when we go, oh my, look at how dark the days are growing. What's that mean, Pastor? They've been dark. There have been dark times. We call them the dark ages. For a thousand years, the doxy is here. The only way that the light shined is through groups that chose to go underground and worship in isolation, separation. Oh, listen, it still works. You young men that may feel the God of heaven calling you to either come into ministry or to start churches or to do the work of God full time, let me tell you something, it still works. Yeah, but it's going to be tougher. Well, it might be tough. No one ever promised a rose garden, especially the Lord. Paul the Apostle didn't seem to have a great time all the time. I mean, he was in perils in the sea and perils in this and perils in that. I mean, to tell you, if it would have just changed that word a little bit and it said pearls, he'd be rich. Don't get discouraged. Stay in the battle. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, the Bible says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And never forget, it still works. It still works. I wonder, are you in need of the favor today? I've spent a long time talking to those who may have already accepted and received the Lord Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But what about you? Have you made a conscious decision at some point to invite him into your life? To accept what he did on Calvary as payment for your sin? The gospel is what you need. And may I remind you, too, that the gospel still works. It will save you. It will change you. And it will enable you to bring forth good fruit in your life. You say, I'm just too far gone. No, you're not. No, that's a lie the devil's telling you. The devil wants you to believe there's no hope for you. Friend, listen, you have no hope because you can't see past today. But when you come to Jesus Christ, you see not only today, but you see into eternity. You'll have hope then, my friend. You've got to receive and accept him today while there's still time. Because the gospel still works. Father, we thank you. We are so grateful, Father, for your word and for the gospel. Proves the proof of the gospel in our own lives. So many are here today that would attest to what you've done in their life, but would have to admit there's no way it would have happened for me in the Lord Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that, Father, they would continue to come to you in prayer, that we would seek your face consistently, that we'd draw nigh to you always, that we'd never get to the place where we felt we didn't need you anymore just simply because you saved our souls. Help us, Lord, to be more dependent on you than ever. For the believer or the person who has yet to receive and accept you, I pray that they would be convicted of their sin and recognize their need for Jesus Christ and that that only the gospel will bring about the kind of faith that is going to get them through tough times or remove mountains. If they want to truly know love, that they get with you, the one who is love, and that the hope is only found by receiving you and, and that eternal life, but that they can see past the present situation. God, help us to lean on you in our time of need. Help us to be faithful.